The short game is listener-supported on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show and join us on our Discord, head to theshortgame.net or patreon.com slash theshortgame. Welcome back to The Short Game. This show about short video games, games that respect your time. I am Reagan Kelly, and I'm joined this week by two fine co-hosts. Laura Nash. And Shane Kelly. And this week we are talking about a game called South of the Circle. Uh, this one is uh, brand new this week and also two years old uh, in a one of the weird situations that keeps happening as games find their way outward from the walled garden of Apple Arcade. Uh this is a uh, sort of narrative, ad- I want to call it a narrative adventure game, but it's almost more just appropriate to call it a narrative game. This is like mm-hmm. a, um, a very sort of film-esque narrative game by the developers State of Play. Uh, if you remember uh, iOS games like Loom or Lumino City uh, or Inks, the the weird inky pinball game. That oh, I, I love I like it quite a bit. Um, they are the developers of those, but this is a game that uh, they created for Apple Arcade a couple of years ago, and uh, we didn't cover it then. Um, but and I, you know, I remember looking at it and thinking, "Oh, that might be interesting to check out sometime," and then never did. Um, but then it's finally making its way out to other platforms. So this week it's coming out on Steam and I think maybe other PC platforms. It's coming out on uh, let's see the uh, the Xbox series of consoles and also playstation i don't think it's on switch or maybe i'm wrong um but it's it's uh, it's everywhere now pretty much um and so that seemed like maybe a good prompt for us to give this thing a checkout it's about four hours i think it's worth thinking about how um these kind of games circle around in the marketplace because i i had not heard of it until now i know reagan you heard of it um but putting a game like this which is a game that's definitely more storytelling focused. That's what I think people thought Apple Arcade wanted to be early on. Um, people have what really Apple thought it wanted to be early on. That's exactly what I should say. That's really how Apple, I think, wanted. They wanted to be all things iOS. All yeah, they wanted it, games. I think Apple always loved the prestige games on iOS. Yes, those aren't what yes. makes money. And they were like, mm-hmm. well, maybe we could give those, In, you know, throw those guys a bone. Instead, Apple Arcade has, I think found its niche more as the best streaming or not streaming the best um, game subscription service for casual gamers which is a totally different style of game and not something that this game really fits in so this is the sort of thing that today i think would probably be um a better fit for one of the other more you know multi-platform or you know hardcore gamer focused things yeah, and that exclusivity window probably just wore off, and that's why we're seeing it everywhere yep. else. <laughs> yeah, and I, th- I think there have been a number of that kind of thing happening lately. I'm trying to remember what the other one was that we've talked about recently. Um, oh, I mean, it, it's even ta- come up with Ryan North's To Be or Not To Be uh, was getting a bunch of press, and I was like, it's been on iOS for over a year, everybody. <laughs> like, th- that's not the only one. It just things keep getting re-released as if they're new. I don't know if you guys heard or saw this, but this was the um, just recently with the first wave, the first wave of Apple Arcade games that were delisted from Apple Arcade just hit. Um, And they were Mm. all all ones that I had never played and and wasn't particularly interested in. Here, I'll try and pull up the list. Let's see. Uh, Atone, Heart of the Elder Tree, uh, Dead End Job. Uh, Let's see. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Here's um, uh, Spell Drifter, Projection, First Light, Life Side. Earth Knight, Earth Knight, I have played actually, but it's on it's on other platforms already. Um, it's kind of an endless runner that I wanted to like more than I ended up doing. Um, Card Apocalypse, Dead End Job, and, and listing others. names like this as <laughs> I mean, what am I to take from from these game titles? Well, Over the Alps was a thing. Uh huh. Oh yeah. So I, I've like I've definitely like seen these in scrolling lists, but I've never tapped on any of them except over the Alps. Oh, and they're delisting various day life. Do you guys remember hearing about various day life? No, it was a, uh, it was one of their big gets. I think it's square Enix. It's like a, um, like a yeah. slow sort it's of RPG, RPG adjacent kind of thing. Uh, like daily life and adventure RPG is the subtitle on the page. 
Um, and it got absolutely trashed with reviews. I think it was one of these things where they like went to uh, Square Enix and Square Enix gave them a project that I don't know if it was already ongoing or, or what, but they just sort of shoveled their worst, their worst thing over to Apple for a few bucks. Um, and it got absolutely trashed in reviews and then never touched again, never updated or anything like that. Um, I think the only one of these on here that I'm really going to mourn the loss of is Over the Alps, which I had kept meaning to play and never did. And I heard good things about Cardpocalypse. Yeah. And the the strange thing about this is there's no clear path for this. Like, do these developers just then like re-upload these as premium apps to the store? Um, it, will the, you know, will the shine be off the Apple at that point? But right? the save data has got to be completely borked. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Whether, like, there's no like clear like, you know, here's how you're supposed to handle this as an Apple Arcade developer that's the first round of these so i guess maybe these folks will figure it out well if you were if you were a square enix what would you do with various day life well i would probably plow that one under and forget about it they do that with their their mobile projects a lot um but i don't know like the the over the alps developers i feel like it'd be more of a, a pain you know a, more of a, a shame if that doesn't resurface somewhere yeah it's very positively reviewed and i think it's on steam and everything like that now mm-hmm uh, some of these are already on other platforms. I think like Earth Knight, I, I know, is on other platforms already, too. And yeah, there's there's a bunch of these um, that have uh, Spider Source. Actually, that's one from, um, uh, ooh, what, what are they called? The developers of um, like the Shantae games and stuff. That, um, mm. What is that developer called? Uh, Take Two? No, not Take Two. Um, what is it? I'll think of it later. Anyway, they're a great developer of like, uh, you know, 2D action games. I don't remember hearing anything good about Spidersaurus in particular, uh, but like, you know, it's got a bit of a pedigree there. So we'll see. I think it'll be interesting to see if and when these resurface and, and you know, how they do that. How do you price a three-year-old game that's delisted from a, a service? Thank you, way forward. Like, how, how do you price something like this? How do you advertise the re-release of something that people used to be able to get as part of a bundle in a, in a subscription? I don't know. You just act like it's a new game. It seems to be working for everyone else. Yeah, and, and that's essentially the, the approach that South of the Circle has taken. South of the Circle, um, you know, you, don't, you go to this page and, you know, you look up southofthecircle.com and they don't mention their, their Apple Arcade release on, on this page at all. Uh, it's just listing, uh, you know, Steam, GOG, Xbox Series, PS5, and Nintendo Switch. By the way, I was wrong at the start. It is on Switch, um, and it's just like you know they're marketing it as a as a brand new game. In fact, the like marketing email that I got from the publishers that that you know clued me in that this thing was coming up um, did not mention the Arc- Apple Arcade release at all. I think that's the smart move if you've got a game that like maybe didn't find its audience on Apple Arcade. Uh, you know. It, and it's not a, a huge, uh, you know, you, you want to recoup that investment somewhat. I'm sure you got, I'm sure they got a payday from Apple Arcade, but I don't know what they're, yeah. what they're you know. They're- I mean, it's a little astonishing. We didn't cover Over the Alps and it speaks to how buried. Um, mm-hmm. It's only astonishing because John Ingold of 80 Days and Hoverboard wrote one of the, like wrote half the game. And oh, we God, never seriously? Oh, but, but now I feel because- really bad for not playing it. But that's because yeah. that was nowhere, right? Like that wasn't yeah. covered anywhere until I was doing like research on like games to play recently. And I was like, oh man, this came out, but there was no reason to cover it, right? And now it's the it's the Bob's Burgers of games having its grand re-re-reopening. Of course, yeah. I think it's uh, it, it, it's kind of weird that... It, I think it all does kind of come from that strange pivot that Apple Arcade made. You know, they uh, they really did move away from the sort of I think they were hoping for being a destination for games that people were talking about. Right. But it's very hard to create an indie hit um, and, you know, to get the, the the conversation around your narrative game or your, you know, whatever else, like small indie thing. Um you know, it, it, it's hard. It's hard to spark those conversations, and there's a there's a pipeline, you know, for that kind of thing where, like, you know, the, the these uh, smaller developers or publishers either have to get grassroots, you know, just people like streamers and and other people playing their game. How is that going to happen on Apple Arcade? Um, you know, it, it it really limits your sort of word of mouth possibility and just sort of people randomly discovering your thing, um, at least when it's brand new. And then it, it also kind of limits the like traditional approach of like, send this thing out to, to, you know, to reviewers in advance or whatever. If your game is on a, on a subscription service, 
how do you get uh it, it's obviously been a lot harder for them to get reviewers to look at their games i've seen more reviews of south of the circle published uh in advance of its release on consoles than when it originally released mm-hmm. um and some of them didn't even mention some of the reviews i was just skimming through didn't even mention the apple arcade release they were clearly either unaware or didn't think it was relevant um, so I don't know. It's a really strange thing to see, but I am glad we gave it a shot. I, I, you know, glad we decided to get around to it this time. Yeah. Not to mention, I think Apple Arcade has a habit of releasing games, like half of the game because they want, like, uh, like we played half of Guildlings, right? Yeah. And then we were never told when that was going to come out. And despite having played half of it, I never <laughs> got a notification saying, Hey, Guildlings is updated and the rest of the game is here. Like that. Whereas if it was an indie publisher and I had bought it, I would have been yeah, getting That's emails. That's a really good point. Like, it, it's just kind of like, I I only found out that uh, Sneaky Sasquatch got so many updates because my niece had been playing it. Yeah. And she wanted to show me all the new stuff. And I was like, oh, I wish I had known these were continuously updated because everyone has a different schedule and I'm never getting told about it. <laughs> like, uh, it's it's so, so strange. Like... I I kind of there's so much potential and they had so much money and it kind of feels sad the way it ended up. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's not that there's not still ways for those uh, those developers to get their game out there. But like, I think it I I wonder what the like, you know, a game like South of the Circle, what the revenue difference is going to be between whatever kind of check Apple Arcade cut them and. Uh, or would cut them today because obviously, like they're they've shifted gears. I bet you they mm-hmm. would get uh, probably wouldn't be able to get their game on Apple Arcade today. But if they were, like, what kind of deals they'd be getting versus just like how much does a game like this make on Steam? How much does it make on the Switch? You know, I don't know. It's interesting. Um, but I guess we should talk about the game itself. Um, yeah, this has been um, Games Industry Business Corner. Thank you for joining <laughs> us. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, I'm, all, I'm still always very interested in, like, the business model of Apple Arcade. You know, I'm interested in continuing to follow it. But it's also, like, hasn't been that interesting to us lately because they've shifted gears. So we haven't talked about it in a while. This reminds me of um, there was a very long time on one of my favorite podcasts on the media where any time uh, they, 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 they talked about current and future business models for monetizing the newspaper industry oh, yes. so many times that they had to come up with a jingle for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Laura, it sounds like you remember that jingle. I do. I mean, they're um, highly adores on the media, but yes. like they're, they, they sometimes are, it would just be as if we like had a Reagan's retro corner, just had a little song that played every time. It was delightful. I, I'm all for jingles. Why don't we have jingles? Well, we've right. got our we've got our uh, our spoiler break uh, drum hit, which I'm still mm-hmm. quite happy with. So I guess that's what we've got. We have a musician in in our you know quartet. Why aren't we actually? Why aren't we well, making Nate work? Well, where the hell is he today? <laughs> yeah, get him off his ass. <laughs> <laughs> We need him to make uh, get at his pocket operators or whatever and make us a uh, a chip tune. Uh, uh, Apple Arcade, what are they doing these days? At least Birdwink needs a theme for the next one. Mm-hmm. Bleep bleep bloop. Games are cable now. But we actually <laughs> were going to transition to talking about the game we all. We were trying. <laughs> I kept trying. Let's do it. Uh, so this is a uh, this is a very very film like experience. You know, we've played other games that have sort of vaguely this presentation. Like, I, I think this has like one part of like the Telltale model, one part of like, um, I mean, it's 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 like a Telltale game in that like you're you know it's primarily narrative focused. You're playing out various scenes. Um, Oxen uh, Free came to mind. Oxen Free is a great example. Yeah, but it's it's I would say less interactive than almost any of those. Um, it is uh, you're you're occasionally sort of piloting your character around the screen in you know in in three dimensions, but um, most of what you're doing is listening to extremely well voice acted conversations happening on screen and occasionally making choices not so much about the dialogue but about tone. Uh, some one of the things I thought was most interesting about this game was that um, where most games like it would present you with dialogue choices. Um, this game gives you timed choices, uh, 
you know, in conversation, you know, somebody will say something to you and in conversation, you will have the choice of several floating icons that represent different moods or approaches in the conversation, but not specific dialogue options. So for example, you know, somebody might be, you know, telling you something kind of romantic and you've got a choice between a, uh, a, a blue rectangle representing solidity or certainty, I think, or a red quivering circle representing, um, oh, I forget, like anxiety like, and yeah, anxiety. Quite, and there was like a, a, like a smaller quivering purple circle that was like fear or something like there's, there's, um, there's a whole set of these icons that it does tell you in a, in two or three words what each of them means initially when you first see them. But then you're sort of more meant to just internalize that, you know, these symbols have certain emotional meanings and you're supposed to, in an almost kind of quick time uh, reaction kind of way, pick what mood you want to set in the conversation. And sometimes you just have one option. So you're just, you know, pressing a button to continue to engage in the, in the dialogue. But other times you have two or three where you can choose for the main character, does he respond by, you know, uh, biting back at somebody? Does he respond by, you know, with a more conciliatory tone? Is he whenever I run into whenever I run into this kind of interaction in games, I always try to play around a little bit to see what happens when you do nothing. Um, and in this one, it's the most common path, which is your your character sits uh, quietly for a moment, and then it kind of auto picks for you. Uh, but that wasn't always the case in this game. I, I messed around with it a bit, and it seemed like in some cases you could just sit there saying nothing, and and your conversation partner would uh, kind of pick up the pick the, up the silence. The options come in uh, in interesting timings. They may come in at the same time. They may come in one after another. They may come in mm-hmm. one comes in very aggressively and shakes and gets bigger, and the other one comes up slowly and comes out. So. For example, like if if you're in a situation that's really scary, the scary red dot will come in immediately and kind of shake and be big and stick around. And then you'll get like a little soft, tentative, feel good vibes <laughs> come up and then like slowly sink away. So I think it's yeah, if you don't react, cool. the one that comes in stronger wins. And that, that, that weight for the maybe more level headed response uh, that's a very tactile way to kind of get you engaged in the emotion of the character. And I like that. Um, and, and I mean, if we're, it's strange that we're taking this game, which is not very mechanical and we're starting off by talking about it mechanically. All I really want to talk about is the absolutely stunning visuals of this game, which were, um, kind of minimalist. I think back to games like ape out that are inspired by like poster art styles, but this one has, a great deal of detail whereas you know ape out was practically empty of detail this has that kind of posterized appearance while still being just beautifully detailed from the very beginning where you have a scene with um a snow drift that you know i i am a connoisseur of fine particle effects in video games and the snow in this game was absolutely gorgeous it was a really pretty game um I think you know because this did launch on uh, on smartphones. I think it has it had to choose its battles when it came to where mm-hmm. it wanted to really be pretty. Um, but I think by choosing this very minimalistic style, where they could do these sort of flat shaded, uh, it, it is clearly three D models, but like they've done like totally flat shading uh, in that sort of posterized look, like Shane was describing there. I was also remembering. Um, we ages ago we played a game called Framed. Do you remember Framed? Yes, yeah. that was that was completely two D. A thing that I thought was super cool in this one. Apparently, they did three D motion capture on the. Yeah, actors. well, the performances yeah. are very naturalistic, so yeah. I kind of yeah. thought maybe that they had like it really looks like mocap. I, I'm I'm not surprised by that. I was looking at the uh, uh, the, when you see a game that's mocap, like you you get a lot of like busy motion from mm-hmm. the characters that you just de- you would just never get if something is hand animated. And this has so much unique animation for the characters as they like talk to each other and, and move around and you know uh put their feet up on the desk and and sort through papers and things like that. And just the um, the incredible amount of work it would have been to hand animate that. I'm sure it would have looked amazing, but 
the performances from the mocap actors were really good. I, I, I always question like, are the mocap actors the same as the voice cast? Cause that's, can be very hard to tell, but in this case, I think it might have been, I think it probably was. It's the voice acting is excellent. The yeah. The voice acting was, I thought terrific, really mm-hmm. good performances. I, I'll just, uh, I'll just read the bit that they have in their press kit here just to, cause they, they're, um, uh, they were very clearly very proud of their actors, but they also, I think also know that what they have are quality actors with good credits without name recognition, because yes. the way they pronounce, they, they list out their cast is by their previous credits. So it's like, uh, uh, you know, created by BAFTA winners, State of Play, the game's beautiful aesthetic and nuanced writing underlines its sweeping cinematic scope, further enhanced by actors drawn from Bohemian Rhapsody, Gwilym Lee, The Woman in White, Olivia Vinall, The Crown, Richard Goulding, Game of Thrones, Anton Lesser, uh, Chernobyl, Adrian Rollins, and Downton Abbey, Michael Fox. So like there were a couple of names on there that like sound vaguely familiar, but don't bring a, a face to mind. Right. Yeah. And um, Tim Lester, I was like, ah, I recognize this man's voice because he was in Wolf Hall as well. So mm. um, Kyburn for those who are going to Google this, he's Kyburn in Game of Thrones and he's um, uh, Thomas Moore in Wolf Hall. So the voice is incredibly distinct. Oh yeah, that guy. Yeah. yeah. I did not have any that guy moments in this game. I um I mean the the characters are very um um they're not done in that very detailed way. Sometimes they if they really want to make you say, "Ah, that guy." They'll do a very detailed character model. Um, no, this was just that guy cuz I watched like part of Wolf Hall in the last month. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, so I mean it, it, the uh guy playing uh Clyburn, he he would have been a that guy if I'd seen him. He's a very distinctive face, but uh mm-hmm. but the the like actors thing, like this this is so clearly like a, a a work that is inspired by film visuals and film storytelling and wants to it markets itself as if it were a film. It you know has a, a movie poster style poster and uh and you know the the whole presentation tells you like these guys uh kind of wanted to make a film, but also a game and they made both. Um, and so it also, we need to get into talking about like the, the, the setup for the story. Um, the South of the circle is a period piece. It takes place during the cold war. Um, 60s. yes, the sixties. And it is, uh, it is set. Well, okay. It's main character is a British academic, a Cambridge lecturer, um, who is uh, at the very beginning of the, I always keep wanting to say film at the very beginning of the game, he's in a plane crash in the Antarctic. And as he's trying to save himself and the pilot that he crashed with, uh, he's trying, he's, he continues to have uh, flashbacks, memories, memory sequences um, to his life before he crash landed in the Arctic, sort of drawing your, you know, how, how did this, this uh, sort of mild-mannered Cambridge academic come to be uh, in the middle of the Arctic in this emergency situation. Um, and he's remembering his history with, uh, so this man's name is Peter. He's remembering his history with uh, the, oh, the leading lady's name is... Uh, Clara. Clara, thank you. Uh, remembering his history with Clara, a another Cambridge lecturer who is facing a uh, sort of blocker on her career due to sexism in uh, in academia at that time. Um, and uh, he's uh, a climate scientist. He's trying to study the motions of clouds. Uh, and it leaves this sort of question mark through the beginning of the of the whole story of like, well, how did how does this point connect to that point? How do these moments of, you know, quiet, uh, academic frustrations and uh, and new budding romance connect with this uh, plane crash in the Antarctic of all places. Uh, and of course, eventually the story progresses until you see those things meet in the middle. Um, but that's sort of the setup that we get. South of the Circle is a uh, it it's you know it's a period piece. Um, it's uh, it it's mostly on themes of um, uh, both sort of uh, sexism and uh you know especially sort of sexism in academia and uh also sort of cold war paranoia um and where those two things intersect i guess 
And uh, it's uh, it's that sort of story. And if that sounds appealing to you, um, if that's the sort of thing you'd watch a film about, uh, then I think this is the kind of thing that you'd enjoy sitting down with for three to four hours. I think some of the most interesting things about this are found either in the intimate two-person scenes or well, there are some group scenes, but they're almost all two-person or it's stuff about like, what does it all mean? Which is at the end. Uh, it's not a twist ending. Um, it's not as if like the, there's no rug being pulled out from under you necessarily, but I think a lot of the emotional beats pay off in interesting ways at the end. Um, which really to me means you're in for the emotional ride. You like these characters, you like the vibe, you want to keep going. You're like invested in it because it keeps going back and forth. There's just overlay between the Antarctic survival mission and the story about Cambridge. Like it's the same person. It's just like past the present. And if you're not into both, you're going to sometimes be like, get it moving. But it does pay off in the end. It's just like. I think it's the it is a journey, not a destination game. Yeah, well, you know, it's a slow burn in a sense. I feel like it. I, my biggest complaint about this game, which I did enjoy, I quite liked sitting through it. Um, it it's very minimally interactive, but that's not really a complaint I have about it. I was expecting that going in. I knew this was going to be a film like experience. I've played other games that have this sort of uh, narrative first, minimally interactive presentation, and that's not a turnoff for me. That's something that I often kind of like. Uh, my biggest issue with this game is mostly that I think its pacing was a little bit too loose. Um, it's a it's a story that actually has a lot of beats. There's a lot to the a lot to the plot, um, but uh, it's about a four hour experience. I felt like I was playing like I was not waiting around, spending a lot of time trying to investigate scenes or what have you. Like I was moving at a clip. Um, but like four hours is a long store is a long time for a movie, right? And mm-hmm. I feel like this has film like scenes, film like editing, uh, of you know film like dialogue. It's 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 working in the same way that a movie does, and it is about twice as long as I want a movie to be. Um, and I feel like it had a good arc, but I think it would have been better if it were a little more compressed. Um, and I think that there there are some places where that 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 air was really mostly felt. Um, there are scenes where you are walking around uh, in spaces, like trying to find objects to look at to investigate and progress the story. And those were a little bit, um, you know, the, the, I feel like the, the fat could have been cut there. Similarly, there's there's scenes where you are driving from one place to another. And unless there is active dialogue, that gets kind of boring. This game's dialogue scenes, the, the scenes where you were actively engaging in dialogue, felt mm-hmm. snappy, felt like a film and I was, I was engaged, um, in that way. Um, but like, you know, I, I, I don't watch a lot of movies where you see a character, um, leave one place, get into a vehicle, drive it the entire way to another location, get out <laughs> and start looking for a, something to pick up. Other um, than drive my car, which is a three and a half hour movie. I still haven't seen that, but okay. Fair enough. It's- it does exist. <laughs> It does, but everyone kept saying how weird it was that a good movie existed in this format. So, mm-hmm. like... Those more play-based um, experiences where you're, like, you know, scrounging through Arctic bases and stuff like that, they have some great moments to them. And there are also some places in there where it's just technically a little interesting. Like, I found it very interesting in the very first one where, you know, you arrive on at a at a base... Uh, that's been abandoned and you know you're you're doing the typical adventure game thing you're exploring around uh, but really it's not what you find that's so important the most important thing you're seeing there is the tracks in the snow and as you walk you're leaving your own tracks and trudging through snow and seeing where people walked before and i thought that was pretty cool yeah you're right and like there would there would be things lost if you just cut all those bits um, that is that is a really good moment because you're you're approaching a base that looks like it's inhabited, but when you get inside, there's no one there. Um, I don't think it's too much of a spoiler. It happens pretty early in the in the story, and and like the the like question of like, well, where did everyone go? Is really served by the feeling of exploring an empty place. Um, 
you know, and, and seeing those tracks, like how, how long can those tracks have possibly been there? Like this, the people who were here must have just left. And the minimalism extends to like, this is not a game where you're clicking on 70 things. Every time you walk into an environment, you walk into an environment, it is empty. There is a clickable thing and there is a door. You are going to get the information you need to move on. It's not a, like, this is not gone home. You are not looking at all the books on the shelf. You are reading the pertinent environmental plot information. You're moving on. So that's why I I think it was fair to say this is a narrative game and not an adventure game. Mm -hmm. Adventure game, you'd be like looking at every map on the wall and like decide, like looking at everyone's photos and every time, where did they go? No, this is a person like, it's cold. I want to get out of here. Yeah, there is no inventory in this game. There are no puzzles. It is it is a straight up. Um, you are experiencing a story in a film like fashion kind of story thing. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like if we get much further, we have to start talking about spoilers of either character beats or um, or plot information. What else I'll can give, we say about this before we before we spoil anything? I'll give one light theme because I found it very appealing. Um, there is a. We mentioned 60s Cold War Cambridge, um, which if you are a spy fan, you're like, ooh, Cambridge 4, like Cambridge 5. But in here, it's the Cambridge 4 because they haven't found the fifth one yet. I don't think um, Karen Cross had been caught. Um, but it is it is a like undercurrent of menace of at it, both in Cambridge and in Antarctica. And it is a like, but what will communism do for my academic career so it is a really fun view of the like the era that we haven't seen as often because um i honestly don't think of england as having nuclear weapons very often this game is very concerned with it right yeah pretty small island for uh for having a bunch of nukes but they do exactly so this is a game about like you know it's not a hundred it's not a colonialist focused game but it is a british power what it is to be a brit type game which i found really an interesting theme throughout in addition to a like a pretty well told romance yeah yeah i agree I, I i think the romance was probably the thing that i found most engaging about the story like i i think that the you know the the um the uh, arctic adventure side of it the the like struggle to survive was interesting enough um, but mostly what kept me going was this, you know, really, I thought well-told, uh, budding romance between two academics, a, a topic that I will never tire of. Um, and, uh, and they were just lovely. Like they, she was driven, um, interested in succeeding, uh, but, but, you know, willing to give this slightly doofy guy a shot. And he was, you know, he was, he, I don't know, you get, you get some choices about how his tone comes off, but like, at least in my playthrough, I, I felt like he was a, he was like a really kind of lovable, earnest person who, um, who was, you know, interested in seeing this, this woman succeed as well as trying to find his own way with his academic career. And, um, it, it's not all sweetness. Um, this is a, a story that is sort of hemmed in by the, the politics of the time. And you get to see that pretty early on with things like friends of the main characters um, being arrested and uh, suspected of, uh, of of sedition or what have you as part of the the, the climate of suspicion around Cambridge at the time. Um, but um, like, I don't know, the, the characters are really well done. And oh gosh, the accents are so cute. Like no, we already excellent. talked about the the voice acting. They are great performances, but God, what is that? I wish I could uh, quickly look up the woman's uh, name who plays uh, Clara, but she has the cutest Scottish accent. It's just so cute. I assume that's Gwillem Lee, but I, they do not actually match the names. Gwillem Lee is a man. Um, cool. So I was going to say they don't, I was about to say they don't match any of the names with the parts they play. So I already, I already looked, uh, I already Googled <laughs> Willem Lee thinking exactly the same thing. I was like, Gwillem, that's probably a girl name, right? That sounds like a Scottish lady name. So probably I apologize Olivia to our Vinal. listeners named Gwillem. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so right, probably Olivia Vinal just cause she's listed second. So I assume she's. She's the, the girl on the list. There's only two women in the cast. Right. Um, well, <laughs> I thought there were two women on the list, but there's only one if Willem Lee is a man. Yeah. So. No, I just, I just, uh, I just did a like 
quick Google search and Gwillem Lee is a British actor. He is best known for his roles in Jamestown, etc. And he is excellent as Peter, which I assume mm. he plays because he's listed first. I assume so, but I don't know what the billing, how the billing works here. So that is probably about all we can say without talking spoilers. I think we we do want to talk spoilers about the uh, the ending a little bit, but mostly just about some of the some of the aspects of the story and the historical setting that would become spoilers pretty quickly if we started talking about them here. So we'll save that stuff for at uh, for after the spoiler break towards the end of the show. Um, but I'll take a moment now uh, since we've got some time to do a quick what's making us happy this week. And uh, Shane, what's making you happy this week? Well, I uh, don't think I've ever brought an artist to what's making us happy, and Ooh. this this week, the uh, the reason I am I'm diving into and reminding myself of one of my favorite artists is uh, I recently had my laptop replaced under warranty, and that's always a chance to put new stickers on a laptop. And of course, uh, of course, everyone is putting their short game sticker on their laptop who's who wouldn't of course um, if you don't have a short game sticker listener what are you doing uh, yeah. back our patreon at the five dollar a month level and i will send you the stickers i've always been the sort of person who like when i see a sticker i like i buy it and i tend to buy maybe like a few because you never know where you're gonna put stickers um and so as i was digging them back out i uh found um I realized that I had uh, a ton of great stickers that I'd never used from Ermsey. Uh, Ermsey is a artist that who's a, a French based kind of pop artist. I'll go ahead and show our, our studio audience. Um, this, uh, this is a, um, this is a zine from Ermsey called say no to soft drugs eight. And the style <laughs> that Ermsey does is a um, psychedelic pop art style where oh, I know this guy you've showed yeah, me his stuff before. I'm sure I have. Yeah. Um, so you'll, you'll have things like um, uh, John from Garfield is uh, stares on aghast as uh, uh, half clothed Betty Boop dives through the mirror into, into wonderland. Um, or you'll see uh, Garfield being eaten by leopards, or uh, things like uh, his most famous. I seem to recall a lot of blunts and other. Uh... Well, just a lot. There's a lot of smoking and 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 drug use imagery here. It's just he's a very trippy artist, uh, which I appreciate. I love the trippy shit. Um, his most famous illustrations have characters like the Pink Panther. Um, whose limbs have been extended to just incredible lengths and are all tied up into knots. So you can see, for example, here is an image of the Pink Panther wrestling with Dr. Octopus. And Dr. Octopus is losing in the length of limbs department in this illustration. So, oh, dear. Um, so the, that's, the, that's been the great thing. And um, these are stickers that uh, I, I got with this way back in like 2018, um, the reason I, the thing people will see now is Ermsey has gone on in the last few years to have some really cool art collaborations. And the biggest one has been with Tops, the, um, the sports cards company. And they did a whole series of these limited edition um, sports cards where he shows, um, you know, uh, baseball players from the seventies, um, swinging their, 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 uh, what is it? The baseball mallet? How do you, uh, how do how is it you play that game? Shane, um, Shane, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. The, uh, so yeah, but it, the, these, uh, the, the ball players are swinging and like it, it distorted and, and things like that. And he's also now gone on to do some, um, reworks of things like garbage pail kids, which is a great, great style for him to be working in. I absolutely dream of owning some of his, um, really great posters. Like there's a terrific poster that's never been reprinted that I really want. That's the, um, one of the original of uh, the amazing Spider-Man, uh, covers, but Spider-Man is essentially become a liquid 
and is uh, kind of flowing across the page. Really fantastic illustrations. And the thing that he does is is so his draftsmanship and his ability to mimic uh, artistic styles is excellent, but so is his ability to render these things in this incredible, fluid, impossible um, back and forth motion. Just terrific. Um, so that that is one thing. And I kind of want to extend this, what's making me happy, if you'll give me another moment, which is just to talk about um, card alters in general as an artistic medium. Um, there are a lot of people out there who are artists who um, uh, clearly inspired by NFTs. Uh, just kidding. No, they, they do these in, um, unique art on a trading card or a playing card. Um, and this is, Ermsey has not done one with magic cards, but another of my artists that I, that I love, who I would love to have some of their work, um, a guy named Eric Klug, um, has, has made his canvas the magic card. So Reagan can ring that bell now. I'm talking about Magic the Gathering. Um, yeah. And, and so his art, some, some that I would, uh, his art will take these functional objects like a playing card and turn them into something else fully. Like he'll have the monster on the magic card be part of a like fifties movie monster poster with a crowd running away from it and screaming and the name of the monster um, written across in gigantic lettering uh, with uh, the whole thing like perfectly worked in, in, uh, in style and incorporating the original art from the card. So uh, that's I always just think that's such a very cool thing to see. And uh, so I'm just going to throw those names of those two artists out there. Um, that is Ermsey, who's on Twitter as Took It Easy. Um, you can still pick up some prints and, and T-shirts and things uh, from from their store. And uh, Eric Klug, who uh, I, I don't know their Twitter handle, but it's uh, someone who by probably be pretty easy to find how many klugs could there be so i usually take the what's making me happy uh section as the opportunity on the show to show my weeb ass and so i will do that once again i may even have recommended this before because i talk about it every now and then but my favorite romance manga comedy romantic comedy manga came out with a new volume this week and so i was very excited uh to read volume 23 of Kaguya-sama, Love is War. I talked about this a little bit on the Discord, um, and uh, and you know, no one cared, and I'm sure none of you do either, but I will recommend it once again in case there's anyone out there who hasn't checked out Kaguya-sama. I think that you might like it, even if you aren't really uh, a, the sort of person who reads uh, romance comedy mangas. Um, to give you a little bit of an idea of what it's all about, um, it is a manga set in a uh, expensive, exclusive uh uh, uh, school for basically young wealthy geniuses and the two, two lead characters are um, uh, two young people who have been raised to believe that in romantic relationships and in many other uh, relationships the person who admits that they want to be with the other first loses that that is the sort of the the high concept idea that begins the story is that these are two teenagers who are um, both geniuses uh, and uh, both are trying very hard scheming to get the other person to admit that they want to go out on a date but but they neither of them will admit it uh, themselves uh, and uh, and the the machinations that go into that and that's the setup but we are talking about a, a romance manga that has been running for 23 volumes it has changed a, a fair number of times over the years since. Uh, the two start dating in volume 14, and here we are in volume 23. Uh, and yet the uh, the, the uh, manga author, uh, Aka Akasaka, has continued to sort of reinvent this thing and continued to be extremely hysterically funny. Very little comedy works in translation. This is one that 100% does. It is always hysterical. Um, there's also a, an, uh, an anime adaptation that is very good and has three seasons. Uh, and I think it's even on Netflix, a, a, a good chunk of it. Um, I'm, I'm not, I, I think 
don't quote me on that, but I think, I think at least the first season or something is on Netflix. So, um, it, and it's a very faithful adaptation. So if you are uh, more a watcher rather than a reader, I find it hysterically funny in both versions. I've, I've read the manga now several times. I've watched the whole, uh, whole show through probably a couple of times. It's like, it's comfort food for me. It's extremely funny. Um, and uh, I would recommend it to literally anybody who likes things that are funny. Um, or romantic. I, um, I have watched it and I can confirm it's really it's pretty damn funny. Um, yeah. I haven't finished, uh, haven't watched much more of it except for what you and I saw together, but a really funny show. I forced Shane to watch one episode of it, I think. And, uh, you know, you should keep checking it out, Shane. It's wonderful. Anyway, um, Kaguya-sama Love is War, uh, volume 23 on store shelves now or digitally or whatever. Laura, what's making you happy this week? Uh, big wild tonal shift from me. Um, I have said before that I, I think I'm really interested in finding or like not the movies that everyone's like, you know, it's not the one, the one best picture. It's not the movie that like critics are saying like, it's not Tony Erdman, which I have not watched, but like everyone's like, this is the best movie of the year that no one actually saw. Like, but there's all these great movies that came out years ago before we were alive or before we were, you know, paying attention and like no one talks about it anymore, but at the time they were like reasonably big hits. Everyone loved them. They just kind of disappeared because they weren't like, they weren't nominated for an Academy award or dubbed by a famous director. And they just like evaporated. Um, and I, every time I find one of these, it's like, I found buried treasure for the past. And I've been really lucky that I've suddenly like my moved by design uh, near a movie theater that does like repertory screenings on the weekends and they do series and they might do like women of sci-fi and they'll do, you know, contact a movie you've never heard of and Nausicaa, like cool, like great, great, great times. But what I've really loved is um, I've gone, I went, I had to miss one of these but um, they did a series called Carl Franklin Noor. And I was like, I like Noor, I've never heard of this person. And I looked and I was like, these are like mostly 90s movies starring Denzel Washington. Like what is going on? So turns out Carl Franklin is a black director who did three different Noor movies um, in the 90s and including Devil in a Boo Dress, which is one most people have heard of. Um, but I saw the other two. One False Move and Out of Time. And they are like super excellent modern noir. And I just never heard of this man or his movies. There's like, I will say Out of Time is the most preposterous of them because it's like, what if Denzel Washington was a sheriff in Florida and then did some crimes and then has to cover up the crimes for the rest of the movie. Like, <laughs> like he's framed for a murder and he's like, I didn't kill these people, but I did do this crime. And so I need to spend the whole movie pretending like I wasn't having an affair with this woman. And I didn't steal this cash because people now think like I am the logical suspect for a murder. And so he's <laughs> like spending the whole time. And what his ex-wife Eva Mendez happens to be the detective on the case. So, and she's here. <laughs> so, so it's like, you know, there's a part like it's the kind of movie where um, there is a uh, the the little old lady next door sees Denzel outside the house. Right. On the night the crime was committed. And like she comes into the sheriff's office to draw a picture of the man just as Denzel's walking in. They hold up the picture, which is clearly a drawing of Denzel. And she points at him and goes, that's the man. And everyone goes. Oh, Grandma, you're really racist. That's the police. Like, that's the head of the police department. Uh, <laughs> all black people look the same. And then she turns and she's like, well, maybe it was that man. And points to the other black man. And everyone's like, oh, just an old lady who's racist. And I'm like, <laughs> there's like a major plot point with a fax machine, like running out of paper. It's that kind of like, it's like, it's not so exquisitely smart that people are like, wow, how intricately plotted this is. But like, there's a ton of tension. There's a ton of jokes. Um, and all of the movies I've seen so far are like this. He apparently even came out of like the Roger Corman school of directing. So like yet another person to thank <laughs> Roger Corman for. Um, 
who knew there is just like multiracial, excellent, low budget 90s noir happening. Apparently Denzel Washington because he did two movies with this man. Hmm. Um, That's neat. Excellent. Like if you can That's find the kind of movie that like these sort of like probably like, you know, low-ish, but not like shoestring budget movies that like you don't get seen, see, you don't see those made anymore. Yeah. And they're way like sexier than movies now have to be because they have to be PG-13 for ratings. So like Out of Time is actually, or um, One False Move starts off with an incredibly violent opening. And I was like, oh, wow, this is what noir would be if it was made in the 90s, right? Like the 40s when they couldn't show stuff. Like this is the logical extent of it. Um, I feel like Tarantino ripped him off quite a bit too. Neat. But it's fun. I, if anyone has a secret favorite movie that I've probably never heard of, just be like, go watch this. I will probably do it and love it. Because that's what I think there's great movies no one talks about. That's really Especially true. Especially by like, black directors. There's so many movies that come out every <laughs> year. And like, you know, I've seen like two movies this yeah. year. <laughs> Spike Lee wasn't the only one making movies in the 90s. Uh, speaking of, this won't be my actual what's making me happy this week. But I finally got around to seeing... Um, uh, everything everywhere all at once uh this week yeah it's like the movie. one movie i've watched this month it's Ugh. you know but but, but oh, it's man. like watching 30 movies it really is it's it super good uh, i'm so late to the party that I, I won't uh i won't bore any of you with a discussion of it but if you have uh missed that one as i did uh you know put that on your list double back it's worth it so um we are here at the time where we have to do our spoiler break. Before we do, let's do a little bit of uh, admin and outro for the folks who are headed out and don't want to hear the spoilers. Uh, thank you for joining us on this episode of The Short Game. Uh, you can find our show on the internet at www.theshortgame.net. That's where you'll find all the things. Link to our Patreon. Link to our contact form. Uh, list of past episodes. All that stuff. Um, if you want to support the show, you can support us on Patreon. Uh, everybody who supports the show at even a dollar a month gets instant access to our Discord. We love our Discord patrons and community there. Thanks very much for joining us there. Uh, come chat with us. And um, we'll be back at the five. Oh, and also I, I always forget to mention, but we do have early release uh, feed uh, for our patrons. You get the show usually several days early. We occasionally drop a little bit of, uh, of Patreon content as well. Um, and uh, if you're interested in that, jump on the Discord. Or rather, jump on the Patreon, and you'll join us on the Discord, too, if you'd like. Uh, and let's see. Um, you can also find our show on Twitter at underscore short game, or me on Twitter at Reagan K. That's R-A-Y-G-A-N-K. Uh, Shane, where can people find you? I'm on Twitter at 8BitShane. And Laura, where can people find you? On Twitter at Laura J. Nash. And this is our spoiler break. the main things I wanted to know uh, coming out of this game, and maybe Laura, you can talk about your experience with it. Um, first of all, I wasn't aware of any um, nuclear testing in Antarctica, and I wasn't sure how fictionalized this history was. Then I did a little bit of Googling, and it, it was a little confusing to tell whether this was stuff that actually... I know this took place around the time when they were making the Antarctic Treaty. Mm-hmm. And that's a real thing and, and real contemporary. That happened in like 58 or something. So like, I was aware of that. But like, did I just not know about several bombs going off in Antarctica? Or is the implication that this was like, you know, this is fictionalized and that this is something that was hushed up by the various governments? I do not know if there were bombs set off in Antarctica. I do know, I do remember reading like a couple articles about how the ice in Antarctica has absorbed like way more radiation than it should. Like it ha- there is more radiation in the ice in Antarctica than scientists think there should be in hmm. ice and Antarctica. Interesting. So whether or not that is currents or tests, like I, I did not do any research on that, but I do know that there is um, quite a lot of, of you know, very, very high remains of, of radioactive, you know, chlorine from radioactive tests. Interesting. I, I, I was pretty impressed with the the sort of turn because like you, you start the game with like, well, this guy's just like a climate scientist studying clouds. How does he end up embroiled in Cold War, you know, um, Antarctic action, right? And um, I think I thought they had a pretty good 
uh, pretty good answer for that. Like the, the whole idea of like, well, he, you know, he was studying the movement of clouds and that led to him studying the movement of radiation. And he detected that there was radiation drifting its way upwards from Antarctica and, um, and was sent to, to investigate this by, by the British government. I thought that was actually a pretty interesting plot. Um, I, I was, I, I found that pretty compelling. Yeah. And I, I don't know if the whole thing is made up, but it works in the game for sure. It certainly works in the game. Yeah. The, the other uh, thing I wondered about was how um, how uh, how did the ending work for you? Because like I for me, um, and I didn't mention this when we were talking through the thing because I don't I hardly feel like the game's to blame here. But like I was playing this on Steam with a pre-release code. My game, uh, I, had, I had some kind of issue. Either I'm not sure if it was a Steam Deck update or something that just randomly happened when uh, when the game went to full release and my sort of you know review copy rolled over to a release copy but um i was about uh three quarters or more of the way through the game and then suddenly my save got reset so i watched the last 45 minutes or so on youtube um so like for me um there's that so there's that big scene towards the end where he has the big fight with uh, with the main with with the with clara um how is that working for you i didn't play that in an interactive way it's not very interactive so Throughout the game, as you've been making, uh, there are decisions that are kind of coded like memories where you have pictures to choose from rather than the dialogue balloons. And Mm -hmm. those drift up to the top, which are like added to a permanent um, heads of interface that like, well, some of those are consequential and others seemed really goofy. Like at one point, she asks you like like, how many cubes of sugar you take in your tea. You take in your tea. And it like, yeah, it's not like on the screen at all times, but it is like a thing that every time you make one, it gets added. Clara will remember that you like two sugars. Yeah. It doesn't say anything like that. Luckily it's just, but the icons, these black icons or your little circles are added to the top. And at the end, when you are having a fight with Clara, um, you see them one by one, like get, basically shattered. Like she, she says something like, Oh, like you're the type of man who introduces yourself as doctor. And then like your little doctor icon pops off or like, because she basically like takes all the memories you've built with her and just like turns them against you. And, and let's be honest, like in the world of the game, you deserve it. Um, You've spent the whole game authoring this scientific paper with Clara. And then um, the game you regardless if you have played the game in all the Cambridge scenes supporting Clara, it is clear that Peter is a false, is an unreliable witness. And either this is what he wished had happened, or he has in his Antarctic fog rewritten all of his memories to be to paint yourself in the light that you, the player, chose. And Clara is angry at you because regardless of what you picked in that last memory, you have taken her name off the paper, which is also why you're in Antarctica. You're told you can't go to Antarctica without taking her name off the paper. So like you're waiting for the scene where you get to go anyway and it doesn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. This is what was sort of interesting to me because like, um, because there was a sort of disconnect, you know, I was like seeing this scene. It was a little unclear to me, but I, it was what it seemed like that scene was doing was setting up that like all of the all of the flashback scenes that you'd previously seen were uh, in some way his like at least based on my playthrough, kind of his his like rose colored uh, you know hindsight version of things, and that like maybe he doesn't remember how deeply he hurt Clara, and he maybe even doesn't really think of himself as having taken her off of the paper. You know, he did that for, for whatever reason, but he, he doesn't dwell on it. He doesn't think about it. I'm not sure whether he like has fully deluded himself into thinking he didn't. Cause you know, you do play a scene in which you get to choose to do it or not do it. But ultimately it's obvious that you do. It's so strange because we, you, we go into games like this that are really choice-based interactive fiction and the almost a trope in people discussing games like this is to say your choices matter. It's the kind of thing that they'll put into the marketing copy. But this is a game where the ending seems to belie that and say like your choices were a delusion that you were telling yourself. Yeah. I think that's 
I think that is partly why the interactivity is so light in this. I think it's the a thematic choice. And that's because I, I believe that you have like the choices you make, like the past is set in this game, but you get the illusion of choice. And to me, I was reading it like either his mem- he's reliving these memories because he's going to die and he's like recoloring the memories or like, like I, I didn't read his delusion. I thought of it like I'm I'm in a survival mode and I think I'm going to die. So I'm thinking back on my relationship and all the good and I'm like making myself a good person so I'm okay with death. Mm-hmm. None of this is in the game. This is just my interpretation. It's a it's a, it's a subtext. I've certainly, but, you know, I and I, 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 who, who among fits. us hasn't like remembered themselves as the hero of their own story or even like, you know, realized afterwards that they were misremembering a, a, an event in a way that yeah. that makes them the hero rather than the villain or like, subtly yeah, thrown a beloved female colleague under the bus for our own personal gain who who who's who among us this? And, but like i think that's why you can only change tone because mm-hmm. like i think it's thematic that the course of events is set no matter what and yeah. when you actually do make a meaningful decision which is the clara thing you just keep having to remake that decision because you keep having conversations where people are like, we think this is still up for grabs. So like there's only one decision that matters and it is taken away from you. Mm-hmm. And I think that is an intentional design choice. And I'm pretty sure it probably frustrates a lot of folks. <laughs> yeah. And how that. many choices can you really make when these scenes are clearly in the past and we know that he's arrived, he's spent the entire time in south of the circle mm-hmm. but some games would change the present to mass patch decisions and this is not a game that does that mm-hmm. yeah and i guess sort of as a final thought like how, how do you guys think it holds up as a as like a cold war it's not exactly a spy story but like it is a bit of a you know um a cold war intrigue story how do you think that element of it held up my my um i, I thought it was intriguing when he was going and exploring the uh the the empty bases and so on that was that was intriguing and i certainly wondered until we got to the very end like where did everyone go and why why are all the bases including the russian base and the british base and the norwegian base all empty some you know something's something's up what's going on here um but like i don't know there, there was that just interminable scene in the plane with the russian guy once the, the russian scene was way too long just so long and like I understand, like you know, you, there's a lot of lot they want to impart there, but like I think as far as like as a uh, as a as an intrigue story, um, you know, you got to show rather than tell at least a little bit. Like there was that scene in the in you know where they're just uh, talking to the Russian guy in their crashed plane was so interminable um, that I felt like it kind of like killed that like um, mystery story momentum for me. Mm-hmm. I think that scene is that was the number one scene I would trim by far in the whole game. Um, I think on the whole, I, the cold war stuff is used for flavor. Um, various levels of paranoia. Um, I think it's just as present as like the dad being like, this is what a man is. Um, the cold war felt like that much shaping flavor to the story. And I, I think it was, a way of showing like cowardice and like, you know, there are people taking stands all around him and you're Mm -hmm. not really doing it. Like I, I felt like it was more flavor on like Peter being a bit of a passive character. (laughs) Maybe that's another reason why the past doesn't change. Peter's passive. Um, That's that's a good point. Like it it is a, it is really a, a story about a character who just like, refuses to take bold stances in his own life or like you know take the oars uh given the literally in there's a scene where he will not take the oars where he he won't take the oars i know right so like it's um it's uh i don't know and then of course there's the scene where he does like you know i suppose it's part of it's meant to be part of his journey but Mm -hmm. like he he is he's like so unwilling to make uh impactful choices in his own life and I guess you on one level, like controlling him can't either. Right. And, you know, on, on some level, like the, the like triviality of some of the choices the game asks you to do and records your, you know, the, the oh, you chose that you like one sugar. Like it, it almost feels in retrospect, like a bit of a comment on that. Um, that's interesting. 
but yeah, I don't know. Um, I think it, it worked well for me overall. Um, uh, with a with a few pacing issues, I think if if the pacing were a little better, I think it would have had a a, a lot more positive to say about this story. Um, but it's uh, overall, I I enjoyed it. I think it was it worked well as a film like game or a game like film. I think eight games out of or nine developers out of ten with the same plot would have chosen to focus on the woman in the red coat who was going to the the protest oh, yeah, and getting yeah. arrested or Clara. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the most passive of the characters. And I think it's like, it, it's an, you know, at least for me, I'm like, oh, it's a meta commentary on choice based games. I don't think that's what anyone, like no one in state of play has been like, we did this to investigate what choice means. But like, I feel like it would be wrong for Peter to make a change that actually affected the game. Because that's yeah, yeah. Not it, who it's, he is. It's sort of, in some ways, it's sort of about the like passivity in the face of injustice, or in the face of, um, you know, uh, well, I guess just injustice. Like it's you know, there's there's the injustice of the of sort of witch hunts that are taking place at Cambridge. There's the injustice of the of the, um, the you know sexism in academia that he's um, by inaction mostly supporting. Um, and so, like, it is sort of a story about, like, how passivity aids injustice, I guess. Um, yeah, when he, he never really learns that lesson, though, does he? Like, he he, no. he, he saves his his life, potentially, maybe. It's hard to say. How far were they from the, from the atom bomb? Ambiguous ending. End? Ambiguous ending. But, like, it's not, a, it's not a game that ends with him, like, learning the lesson and standing up for something that really matters at the end. All, all he manages to do is potentially save his own skin. So, I don't know. The one decision he makes that is meaningful at the end is not taking action, which is not shooting the Russian. Yeah, actually, that's true. But just the your one decision. time, his I don't know what happens if you try to shoot the Russian. I just didn't. Uh, I, I do based on a YouTube comment. I didn't actually see that happen. But if what you if YouTube you don't try to shoot say? the Russian, he like he like nicks him. He's a he's a terrible shot. Um, despite oh, him claiming sick. he was a great shot in that scene in the in the like fun fair. Oh, so um, it shows that he's a liar. Okay, he's actually a terrible shot. Yeah. Mm. Um. So I uh interesting. Um. But yeah. Uh. I think that's all there is to say about uh, South of the Circle. I would, again, recommend people check this one out. I think it's it's worth the three or four hours. And if you are the sort of person who likes film-like games or game-like films, uh, this is this is one of those and a pretty darn good one and uh, and worth, uh, worth experiencing its story and especially voice acting. So Very good it. voice acting. Yeah. Um, it's clear they were in the same room mm-hmm. when they recorded these lines. Actors performing. Um, so uh, we've already done all the admin and outro, so I'll just say to our listeners, thank you again so much for joining us on this week's episode of The Short Game, and we hope to be with you again soon. Bye. Bye.